Good morning, all. Um, I'm filling in for Pastor John today. Uh, just a guitar player, really scraping the bottom, as you know. So, um, so it's been an interesting week for me and Linda and Mom Page. Um, so I actually spent, sent my uh, my slides to Adam on Thursday, and then Thursday night, about nine o'clock, Mom Page uh, was walking to her chair to watch TV and lifted her foot to walk over the cat. Did not trip on the cat, but lost her balance and fell over. Uh, hit her head on the cupboard, bounced, uh, but did not get back up. She broke her hip. We didn't know it at that point. Um, and uh, so we tried to get her up, and it was you know, very, very painful for her, so we didn't get her up. Called 911, fire truck, ambulance, to uh, the hospital, Salinas Valley. Um, got there about 10 o'clock and then uh, sat uh, in the emergency room until 2.30 when they came in and said, we can't find anything wrong with your mom because they'd done x-rays and didn't show up. Uh, and then the doctor touched her leg and she screamed and he said, I think it's broken. And so they did another CAT scan and 3.30 came in and said, it is broken, so she'll have to have surgery. Uh, so we're going to admit her. So we were there... Uh, until they, they finally did surgery at 7 o'clock that night. And uh, it was amazing. The surgery was only about half an hour, 40 minutes. But uh, she came out. She's much better. Uh, she's going to have to do rehab and all that. But one of the things that, you know, so Ma, Linda is there. She wanted to be here this morning. But they're doing uh, therapy for her mom right now. And so Linda's over at the hospital with, with her mom. Um, but one of the things that we really noticed is just the niceness. And I put on the church webpage that mom had fallen, that she was at the hospital. And, and all of the folks, all of you, uh, who, who are, you know, on the webpage, uh, responded. You know, there were 10, 15, 20 people who responded doing prayers, and we really appreciated that. And that's, you know, we're talking about today, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And, you know, the kindness that overflows within the church, within the body of Christ, to you and I, between each other, just makes life, you know, ever so much better, ever so much uh, enjoyable, ever so much uh, positive in everything that we do. But that's not the way of the world, is it? Uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, I was actually driving. Uh, I work over at Navy Postgraduate School as a teacher. I was driving 68 one morning to work. And you know, right there at Tarpey's where 68, the two lanes come into one. There was a Porsche over here on the right and another car in front. I don't know what it was. And um, the Porsche, and the, I could see that it was not going to work very well because, you know, neither one was giving. And so, you know, the lane is going there. And so I sort of back off in my little Prius, you know, back off, you know, and <laughs> gets good gas mileage, okay? So <laughs> I back off to give somebody room to do what they need to do. And these two cars, and finally the Porsche backs off and goes in. Uh, and we're just going on, inching along. And then, you know, there's a light there by the airport where the Porsche, I guess, decided he was going to turn right. Uh, and he pulls up next to the other car and honks and gave him that little wave, y'all know, uh, and then goes on. I felt, I felt really bad. He didn't even notice that I was kind to him. I mean, he didn't, he didn't give me a wave or anything, you know, and I had actually taken steps to make sure that, that he could get in. Well, uh, hold on to that thought for a while. By the way, a little bit later, I'm going to ask you for examples of kindness in the church, in the home. Uh, at school or whatever else, I ask you to raise your hand. I'll bring down uh, and just give me some examples of kindness. And I have the guarantee for kindness. Kind bars. 
Take one of these and it's guaranteed that you will be kind for at least, I don't know, 10 minutes. <laughs> so if you'll share a kindness with me, I will share kindness with you. How's that? So anyway, uh, the fruit of the, kind, the Spirit is kindness. But I want to give us a little bit of context in Galatians. Uh, because uh, there is so little kindness in the world. Uh, well, I, you know, uh, they say that uh, uh, confession is good for the soul. I teach all about war. Uh, Pastor John, you know, if somebody comes in and meets me, he says, Dane teaches war. Well, not really, but I teach strategic planning and things like that over at the War College. And, um, you know, I will guarantee you there is no kindness in war. I've been studying a chaplain from World War I. He was in the trenches. Uh, he says, war is the most evil of all things. That's a quote from him. Uh, and he's right. Uh, there's nothing good that comes out of war. He and I both agree with that. Uh, business is warfare, isn't it? When you really think about it, business, uh, capitalism, it's the survival of the fittest, uh, who can make the most money, uh, at least in some ways, uh, in looking at it, uh, that's what business is all about. And whoever uh, dies with the most money wins, right? Uh, the most toys, that kind of thing. That's uh, the world that we live in. And you'll find that there's very little kindness in the business world, oftentimes. Um, so it's that kind of thing in that context. Politics. All you have to do is turn on the news every day, and you will not see kindness in the news, will you? I mean, it's uh, everybody backbiting and calling names and this kind of thing, and there is no kindness in politics today. It's really become very uh, uh, dark and foreboding, and uh, uh, it's always been backbiting, I guess. So there's very little kindness in that context. Uh, and in the church where there should be kindness, at least uh, you know, 2,000 years ago in the book of Galatians, uh, there was a problem. There was no kindness. You know, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Just a couple verses before we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we have the fruit of the flesh. And I'd just like to read that for you, just to give us a little context of what was going on there. I forgot to do something, didn't I? Yeah, I did. The fruit for the day. Yeah, the, uh, it's going, it's looking at the slide going, but what am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting something. The fruit of the day is kiwi. Alright, so that's the fruit for the day. Uh, it's a little bit of a background. It was known as the gooseberry, Chinese gooseberry. They actually renamed it because it was, you know, anybody here like kiwi? It's good, isn't it? If you can get past the little skin. Right, yeah. Uh, some people eat it with the skin on. Yeah, no, no. I've actually tried it, it doesn't work. Uh, but some people like it that way. And then other people, we all, you know, the rest of us, we all peel it first, right? That's, that's a good thing. But anyway, it's really good for you. Does all, it's got lots of vitamin C, vitamin K, all sorts of good stuff. The kiwi is our fruit. All of you that want one will get one after the service. It's actually named after the kiwi bird, which is small, brown, sort of roughly kind of thing. Uh, Etc. Okay, so anyway, that's our, uh, that's our fruit. Anyway, getting back to what I was talking about before I remembered, thank you guys up there, <laughs> is that, you know, there was actually this war going on with the church uh, at Galatia. And it's interesting because Paul had been there just 18 months before. He planted the church, shared the gospel, they responded fantastically. Uh, and then all of a sudden, somebody got in there and started teaching them this, hey, that's not enough. The Spirit is not enough. Jesus Christ is not enough. You've got to go back to the legalism that you had before. Now, you know, it's, it's interesting. You look at Galatians and, uh, and uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says to them, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, for a different gospel, a sad gospel. 
All right? You know, they have gone back to this legalism thing. Uh, and, uh, and then over in uh, verse 9 uh, of chapter 3, he, uh, he says, For as many as of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So this gospel, this legalism that these people are following is not the gospel that Paul taught to them some 18 months before. And then we look over in uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 16, where we get the context of the fruit of the Spirit. First of all, Paul talks about the fruit of the flesh, or the works of the flesh. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. There's warfare going on within the church within the Galatian church, and believe it or not, even within our church. It's a warfare between the flesh and the spirit. I've experienced it, you've experienced it. I know it, because it's, it's part of the human condition, isn't it? For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. These are the fruit of the flesh, folks, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit which we've been talking about for a number of weeks already. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit and practice the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, wonderful scripture, right? Why is it that legalism was so attractive to those folks 2,000 years ago? Well, and believe it or not, legalism, the works of the law, are attractive today too. People love the law. People love legalism. Why? Because we always know what's expected of us under a legalistic system. I was in the military for almost 30 years, just a little bit shy, 29 years and some odd months. And it's a very legalistic system. And one of the things that I liked about the military was I always knew exactly what they wanted me to do, exactly what was expected of me. There's this thing called the UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's very clear, you do this, you get in trouble. You don't do this, you don't get in trouble. Every year I got an evaluation. By the way, I never got an evaluation when I was a pastor in a local church. Maybe that's good, I'm not sure. <laughs> but I got an evaluation every year. And it said that I had done these things great. And by the way, they never said I did anything bad, so that was good too. And by the way, they also gave us awards. I had a whole chest full of awards. It was cool. Because, hey, if you do good stuff, guess what? You get rewarded. And that's what happens in a legalistic system. You know what's expected of you. You know how you earn rewards. And by the way, what do you do with your rewards? You show them to everybody. You put them on the wall. And everybody sees them. And you sort of compare. Hmm, where were you at? What'd you do? Oh, and I've got more rewards than you've got, right? And hey, I can feel pretty good. Oh, and I don't have quite as many as that person over there does. Oh, I'm going to have to work a little bit harder, right? In order to actually earn 
you know, where I want to be in this life, which is sort of interesting. And that's what happens in a legalistic system. You know, there's pride, right? And there's selfishness that goes on. This is one of the things that happens in a legalistic kind of system. It happened in the military. I was working in a place, and uh, I, no names. But anyway, people have a tendency, we call it, you know, stabbing each other in the back kind of thing, uh, which happens. And, you know, because... And this happened in my situation. There are all these officers that are actually getting uh, evaluated at the same time, and we had to get evaluated as to whether I was first, second, third, or fourth out of five. And guess what? People would actually go around trying to cut down the other people so that they could be better than the others. And that's what happens in legalistic systems. And that's exactly what Paul describes. If you're in the church and, and you get into a legalistic kind of system, and we always feel good with that legalistic system, the problem is, is that the eyes are on everybody else. I'm doing better than John over here. Not quite as good as, as uh, this person over there. And always preparing. And then what is the other thing that happens in a legalistic system in churches? We start criticizing the people that aren't living up to the standards that we expect of them, right? And that's exactly what Paul is talking about uh, in, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the flesh. And by the way, there's also anger that occurs in those kind of situations. And it can come from the leadership as well as from within the body itself. And, and I've got examples of that. We don't, you know, it's sort of cool. I like our business meetings around here. They're short, they're sweet, and we all get along. I've been in business meetings in churches where it's like, <laughs> we don't want to go there, right? Exactly. So, uh, and the p- interesting thing here is that with this legalism, uh, the things that he talks about in terms of the fruit of the Spirit are the elements that will in fact offset the fruits of legalism, the fruits of the law, the works of the flesh. And notice the, the ones that we're talking about. So, uh, in the, the fruits of the flesh, the ones that really, I'm talking about kindness today. Okay? I'm talking about kindness today. And uh, in the fruits of the flesh, there is the, uh, which are uh, enmities. So kindness will offset enmities. Strife. Kindness will offset strife. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Enmities, strife, uh, I already said that. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, and I'll end, with, with, I'll end with those. But the kindness that we're talking about today will actually offset all of those fruit of the flesh. I got a story. Let's skip that one. All right, so let's talk about the fruit uh, of the Spirit kindness today, and I think we go to the next slide. Uh, and it's a supernatural kindness, isn't it? So he says, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Now, where does that kindness come from? It's a supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered uh, characteristics that we experience. Now, one of the things, John talked about this last week, and I find that it's true in my life too, is that when you teach or preach about something, you always get tested on it. It's true. And so uh, Linda asked me the other day, she said, uh, Dan, would you go up and clean the cat box? We have three cats, three cat boxes. You know, it takes a few minutes. It, you, know, you know what it's like to clean the cat box. My response was, sure, certainly, I'd love to. And she said, <laughs> she said you're going to have to preach more often. <laughs> so <it was> really <laughs> that's not my usual response, I guarantee <laughs> 
Anyway, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. So Romans 2, 4, just real quick. The point uh, of the gospel, Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, we understand that uh, the words for kindness in the scripture, krestotes, and in the Old Testament is chesed. So those of you who have taken uh, the Hebrew, uh, chesed is the word for covenant love. God made a promise to us, and out of that promise, he loves us. And as a result of that, he also does good things for us. And God promised Jesus Christ to us out of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever uh, believes in him should not perish, but has everlasting life. The gospel. But it's not just, I mean, the love is a wonderful thing, but he also has the kindness to go beyond just the love, which we think love is everything, but kindness to take the steps to actually accomplish what needs to be done. Love is a wonderful thing, isn't it? We can love somebody, but unless we actually take steps uh, towards them in in terms of uh, experiencing them and doing things for them, uh, it's not easy to express love. And kindness is the expression of love. In kindness, God sent Jesus Christ to the cross and from the tomb to give us life everlasting. So that's really the basis of of that uh, kindness. Now, we see uh, the story, I think, that I'd like to share with you about uh, uh, God's kindness. Uh, A good illustration of kindness is really Ruth uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, I love the story of Ruth. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Ruth, one of the first... uh, uh, books of the Bible after the Pentateuch. And the story of Ruth is interesting. Uh, so, first of all, we have uh, Ruth is uh, a foreigner. Um, she lives in a place called Moab. And uh, Elimelech and Naomi had lived in uh, Bethlehem, Judah, and uh, there was a big famine in the land. And so they looked around, and where was there not a famine? It was down in Moab. And so they left and went down to Moab. They took their two sons with them. And as the the nature of things is when you take sons and you live in a place, they live there for 10 years, the sons found young women, married the young women. They just happened to be Moabites. Now, the problem with Moab is that, well, Certainly, the, the history was that uh, it wasn't always good between Moab and the Israelites. When the Israelites were leaving Egypt and going up to the Promised Land, they asked to get, pass through Moab, and uh, the, the king of Moab said, sorry, you can't. can't do it. So they had to go around. So there wasn't any good feeling about them. Also, they, they worshipped false gods. They, they worshipped uh, Chemosh and uh, Malek, Molech, and, uh, and other gods, etc., which actually involved uh, human sacrifice. Uh, and so, you know, you can just think that Moab and the Moabites would not be the place uh, uh, that uh, Israelites would feel uh, comfortable with. Uh, and yet they did go live, live there, and uh, because of the famine, the kids uh, uh, married the young women there. But in the passage of time, Elimelech, and both of the sons died. And so Naomi said to the two young women, go back to your, to your parents, go live in their houses, I'm going to go back to Judah, to Bethlehem. And uh, in fact, uh, the one daughter, uh, daughter-in-law actually did, but Ruth uh, said no and did, said something that actually has made it into most of the weddings that I've ever done. Uh, she said, uh, but Ruth said, and this is, uh, if you're following along in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16, 
But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried, that the Lord may do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. That makes it into, I think, pretty much all of the weddings that I've ever done. And, uh, you know, here's this Moabitess who's actually got these wonderful words where she makes a commitment to her, her mother-in-law that she's going to follow her and support her and be with her in the midst of her trials. And so they do go back to, uh, to Israel, to Judah in this context, Bethlehem. And, of course, uh, part of the, the problem is that now they have no visible means of support, as we would say. Uh, and so, uh, and of course, uh, uh, Naomi is uh, sort of aged in that context. And so Ruth is going to go out and glean. Now, it's, it's interesting. I looked up. There's actually gleaners that take place here uh, in uh, gleaning that takes place. And the gleaners are the ones that follow uh, the agriculture after they're actually taking the, you know, harvesting all of the fruit and so on and so forth. And so Ruth is going to go out and glean. And uh, Naomi tells her, Ruth, go, and fo- go to the fields of Boaz because he is a relative and there's a good chance that in fact uh, he will allow you to glean in his fields. And she does as she has said. And, and in fact, they've heard about him, uh, they've heard about Ruth and they allowed her to do it. And in ver- chapter 2, um, you know, they're nice to her, they take care of her, they allow her to glean. Uh, she says, uh, verse 10, she fell down before Boaz, bowing to the ground, said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner, I'm a Moabitess? And Boaz answered and said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband <clears throat> excuse me, has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord." the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, and you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like your other maidservants. And there's uh, uh, other things that happen. Um, uh, She is a close relative, and and of course they had the the process of maybe her marrying, and so she does, in fact, uh, uh, Naomi tells her uh, to go and the story is really interesting to lay at his feet in, not in the night, and she does. And he wakes, and, and he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after uh, the young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, and I will do whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you're a woman of excellence. And so the point of, of this story, I think, a, a couple of things we see, a couple of principles about kindness. Uh, number one is that kindness multiplies. You know, uh, Ruth is being kind to her mother-in-law, uh, is motivated by that kindness and that commitment to her. Remember the promise, the covenant kindness, the covenant love? She made a commitment to her mother-in-law. Because of that commitment, that promise that she made, she goes and she works in the fields to actually support her and her mother-in-law. It's a promise that actually acts just like God acts and does things for us uh, in terms of a kind way. So that, uh, that kindness is recognized. That kindness grows. And ultimately we see that that kindness is actually recognized and rewarded by God. Now, why is Ruth so important? 
Anybody know? She's in the light of Christ. She marries Boaz and has children, and of her, I think she is the great-grandmother of David the king, and then uh, she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ our Lord, which is sort of interesting that you have a Moabitess who comes from a, a group of folks that actually do you know, idolatry. Of course, she left that to honor the God of Israel, our God, and God actually recognizes her and rewards her for what she has accomplished, which is just wonderful. So principles. We've already talked about the principles. Uh, we see that when we are kind to others that uh, it is noticed. Uh, kindness begets kindness. Uh, that's what I was sort of upset about the other day when I was driving behind that guy, the little Porsche. You know, I was kind to him. I thought, well, hey, maybe he'd be kind back. Didn't work in his case. That's one of the problems with our world, right? Um, and so just you know, amazing that, uh, that that can actually happen. Now is sort of the time for... Uh, I told you I was going to ask you for kindness. I need your help. I really do, okay? Um, so give me some examples of kindness, spirit-led kindness in the church uh, that, that we can have. So anybody want to think about a kindness that somebody has shown you? Go ahead. Excellent. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else want to share kindness in the church? Go ahead. I think uh, many of the people here in this church give their time. Yes. That's one of the biggest things you can do with kindness is give your time. I agree. Yeah. So time is, is very important. So he said that actually people in the church give their time uh, in sharing uh, and show their kindness in that way. Anybody else? One of the things that I think about in terms of kindness in the church, now we've been to churches where there was not kindness. We went to one church one time and, and they, the pastor, they were having some big building program and the pastor was berating everybody in the church because they weren't meeting their financial goals for the big building program, and it was a multi-million dollar kind of thing. Um, and he did it every week that we went for like three or four weeks. We never went back because it just didn't seem like the kind kind of place, right? We're, we're getting berated every week by, by the guy in front. And so, you know, that was not the kind of kindness. One of my ideas is that if the church is kind... That's one of the first steps in terms of evangelism, isn't it? That if evangelism is going to take place, then kindness needs to happen to bring folks to the kindness of God. And how beautiful that is when that occurs. How about uh, showing kindness in the home between husbands and wives? Anybody? Got a candy bar for you. Well, it's not a candy bar. It is, uh, let's see, it is artificially engineered. No, no, no genetically artificial. <laughs> it's gluten-free. Okay, okay, good. then to Texas, and then we came back here, and without even promising that we're going to come back to this church, we had over a dozen church members help us unload a Penske truck within an hour, and this was, really, this was a big Penske truck, and so they yeah, all combined the two in the home and with, with church members, and it was just such a welcome, so, I mean, what kindness was that? Amen. Was fantastic. Praise the Lord. Good. So, 
and we're glad to have you back. Uh, I, I told uh, Heidi that you play the penny whistle, so uh, <laughs> so she'll be calling. Anyway, <laughs> uh, how about uh, within the family? Anybody uh, want to share a kindness in the family? One of my think. Go ahead. <laughs> I have a whole box more. Anybody else? Go ahead. Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Anybody else? I really need one for the family because I want I have a comment that I want to make about the family. All right. Okay. Amen. Amen. And that's exactly my point, isn't it? That in a marriage, it takes kindness. And if, in fact, we are kind to one another, kindness will end most fights. And will guarantee us. Linda and I celebrated 47 last week, and but there were 63 and 73 over here. And I'll guarantee you, kindness has characterized those families that enabled them to be married that long, right? So, how about a kind? Go ahead. <laughs> it's going to be good, I know. Uh, I mean, there, there, are, there are weeks when I'm doing three, four, 16-hour days, day shifts at work, and I, I don't request anything of her in particular, but she'll come to me and she'll say, you know what, baby, you're not driving. I'm going to drive you to work for all of those. And, and I get to work, and um, it really helps me a lot. Amen. Because I can, I can sleep while she's driving, and I can get to work and do what I need to do. And, and other people at work, they're like, your wife drives you to work? <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's an incredible love that she shows to me because she doesn't want me to get in accidents, and she wants me to come home safe. Amen. How about children uh, being having experienced kindness from their parents? Any Any children here that would? Anybody? No, you don't want to go there. <laughs> well, he's shaking his head really strong. I'm going to give him a one anyway. How's that? <laughs> but I'll tell you, one of the things I will guarantee... Was there something I missed? One of the things I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, workplace. That's important. Across the district, there were many times 
Amen. Amen. So the kindness, exactly. Yeah, it's important in the workplace, isn't it? And important for us to share that uh, with others as well. So how is it that we, uh, you know, so I told a story a little while ago about, uh, you know, backing my car off and all that, and, and, and then the, the, the thing that I felt. Uh, where did I mess up with that? Did I mess up with that? Because then I was worried about me, wasn't I? And that's one of the, that's one of the things that happens with that legalism, and that is that, uh, you know, you start thinking about yourself and not the other person, and that's where it becomes spiritual and supernatural. Because, you know, God did not think about himself. Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, you know, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, that you might not grow weary. He went to the cross thinking of us. He never thought of himself. He was never selfish in that. He wasn't thinking about how he was going to look or about uh, the fact that they were going to take away all his clothes when they put him on the cross or that he would experience all of those wounds and everything else. The kind of kindness we're talking about is selfless and not selfish. You don't think about your own things. And how do we actually experience that? And I'll, I'll wrap up with this in just a second. But in John chapter 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I wanted to have a little uh, uh, thing on the slides now. So you got the vine and the branches and then the fruit of the Spirit growing out of our connectedness to Jesus Christ, right? Because we can't do it apart from him. We can only re, you know, practice the, the fruit of the Spirit, especially this kindness that is selfless and self-sacrificing when we're connected constantly to Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Well, all of us do it differently, don't we? Uh, for, of course, you know, Scripture is really important. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sit against thee. Scripture. So many other things, you know, that we actually practice and study the Scripture because when we're in the Scripture, we're closer to God. For me, I love to sing. I love to play my guitar. Uh, when I sing, I pray twice. That's a, a quote, actually, I think, from some great saint. I forget which one. But when I sing, it draws me close to God. And what is it that draws you close to God? It is probably, for many of you, it's Bible study. But many of you, we're talking about streets of Bethlehem. Many of you love working for the church and for God. And you draw close when you're up on a ladder nailing things, right? And for some people, that's drawing close to God. For other people, it's baking for others so that they might feel uh, uh, accepted and, and, uh, and blessed by what it is that they put out. And that's a way of serving God as well. For many of you, it is serving the children and teaching them and blessing them and being with them. And that's acceptable to God too. And that keeps you plugged in to Jesus Christ. Now think about in your own background, certainly you know, it is you know, going to church and being with Christian people and all of that. But how many other things do we do that draw us close to God? Do that. Keep close to him, and I guarantee that you'll actually begin to uh, practice these self-sacrificing, spirit-connected ways of experiencing uh, God's love. Now, the danger in all of that is that we'll fall back into what Paul was talking about. And that as you're uh, you know, taking care of the children, you're thinking about, well, why isn't everybody else doing this? You see where that can go? And while you're working and nailing uh, things on the wall, 
which are so important, why isn't so-and-so doing the same thing, right? And that gets into that legalism once again, and so we have to guard against that so that we don't fall into the kind of things that Paul is talking about in this context. Great story that I'll close with. And uh, it's actually from Chuck Swindoll. He's one of my favorite radio preachers. And he tells a story about going on an airplane, and the airplane was actually uh, delayed about uh, six or seven hours. And everybody ever been in a situation like that? I was on a 10-hour trip from London recently, and we landed in L.A., and we're thinking, all right, we're going to make our connections and all that. And then we sat on the runway for two hours, and everybody was, you know, just upset. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive me. Anyway, (laughs) so here's Chuck Swindoll at at 35,000 feet. It's 545 on Sunday. It should be 4.15. The airliner was an hour and a half late. People are grumpy. Some are downright mad. Flight attendants are apologizing. Uh, to complicate matters, uh, one gentleman across the aisle has a rather severe nosebleed. He speaks a foreign language. And they're trying to help the poor guy, but he doesn't speak a word of English. So now the meal is late. Uh, the lady on my left has a cold and makes an enormous sound whenever she sneezes about every 90 seconds. I've timed her. Something like a dying calf in a hailstorm or a bull moose with one leg in a trap, he says. Anyway. So anyway, uh, Chuck says this is one case where he's done a pretty good job. Um, he's not, he, I don't think he's actually you know, getting selfish in that context. For a change, he says, I refuse to be hassled by today's delay. I ask God to help keep me calm and cheerful, relaxed and refreshed. And you know what? He did. He really did. No pills. No hocus-pocus, just relying on and relaxing in the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't promise you that others will understand. In fact, when, you ex- when the expected response is deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit looks a little bit weird. You see, I've got another problem now. Ever since takeoff, I've been smiling at the flight attendants, hoping to encourage them. You know, practicing the fruit of the Spirit. But just now I think I heard one of them say, watch that guy wearing glasses. I think he's had too much to drink. <laughs> And this is the point, isn't it? When we actually live out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, against such there is no law. When we live that out, people are going to come in and go, what's wrong with those folks? They're a little bit weird. They're a little bit nuts, as Chuck Swindoll says. Well, may that nutty tribe increase, and may we be that nutty place where we practice spiritual kindness. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for the time that we spent in your word. Lord, uh, we desire more than anything to be connected to Jesus Christ our Lord, to, uh, to bear the, the fruit of the Spirit because of our connection with him, because of our connection with you, and that people who come in uh, will actually experience it. As the scripture says in Galatians 6.10, uh, do good to everybody, but most of all within the church. And may this place be a place where your fruit, the fruit of your spirit, uh, is so evident that everybody will see it. Lord, we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.